The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Jesus left that place and went away to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Just then, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and started shouting, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is tormented by a demon. But he did not answer her at all. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she keeps shouting after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. He answered, It is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, Woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed instantly. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. O Lord, may your word only be spoken, and may your word only be heard. In the name of Jesus Christ, the living word. Amen. In some traditions, it's customary to shout on a Sunday morning. Ours isn't one of them, but we may have to start. The last seven days, at least the last seven days, have been about water. There's been rain and rain and more rain. This week we have a baptism of Jack Tyson. Last week we had Jesus walking on the water. Speaking of walking on the water, if there's any moniker or any uh, epithet that describes divine or supernatural power, it is the phrase, well, he walks on water. Or, well, she walks on water. We can imagine it this morning being used about Michael Phelps in particular. <laughs> he goes through water. Anyway, we've heard it before. So-and-so walks on water. Or, you know, so-and-so doesn't walk on water. Last week, as I mentioned, the reading told, the gospel reading told the story of Jesus walking on the water. And this, I think, is one of those stories that's kind of the epitome of the divine side of Jesus. This is one of those things that really makes Jesus God in human form. Now, every week, as we recite the Nicene Creed, we join voices, our voices, with Christians who, throughout the centuries, have affirmed that Jesus is fully human and fully divine. And though the creeds that we say on Sunday never explicitly declare this, our tradition has been that Jesus was not only fully God and fully human, he was also without sin. This is the Jesus whom we claim to follow. In the last couple of weeks, not only last week with Jesus walking on the water, but also the week before with Jesus feeding the 5,000, 
we see Jesus at his divine best. This week, we see, in my view anyway, the fully human Jesus. It really is a remarkable story, but one that was uh, important enough that it is included not only in the Gospel of Matthew, but also in the Gospel of Mark. The early church must have thought it was very, very important to include this side of Jesus' life. And, as we heard in the collect this morning that we prayed together, this Jesus has been given to us as an example of godly life. And we also ask for God's help in following in the most blessed steps of this Jesus' life. Well, we need to pray for that help because it's pretty daunting to say and to try with all of our might to follow in his most blessed steps. It's daunting. How could we feed 5,000? Or even tougher, are we even meant to walk on water? So it can be daunting. It can also be confusing, as in today. In what way is Jesus for us as we see him in action today, in what way is he meant to be an example for us? Well, the context of the story that we hear this morning is this. Jesus has been approached by a Canaanite woman for healing for her daughter. Now, right off the bat, this person has two big strikes against her. Right off the bat. She is... A Canaanite, which is sort of the catch-all term uh, in Israelite history for everything that Israel is against. Paganism, idolatry, corruption. Canaan is the land that the Israelites were promised as they were coming through the wilderness. God promised them that this land of Canaan will be your land to conquer. So she comes from, in many, many ways, the wrong side of the tracks. That's the first strike against her. The second is that she is a woman. And for a woman to approach a group of men, as she is doing here, is beyond the pale. It's not done. Not by proper women, anyway. And perhaps fittingly, the treatment she receives indicates or underscores the second-class citizenship that she has. You'll recall at first, Jesus does not answer her. And then the disciples tell her to go away. And then Jesus says, you know, I'm not here for you. I'm here for these other people, not for you. And then he calls her a dog. And then, only after she has apparently bested him in some witty repartee, does he heal her daughter. What is going on here? What is going on here? 
Well, first, it's clear that the woman has some important traits that we can hope to emulate in our own spiritual journeys. She is incredibly persistent. Jesus talks about persistence in prayer in a number of places in the Gospel, and this woman epitomizes it. She is persistent in the face of repeated rejection. She is fearless, completely fearless, in this situation where she is an outcast in a number of ways. She also suggests to me, I guess as a, as a parent, um, the way, one of the ways we might treat our relationship with God is as if we were uh, arguing on behalf of our children. There's something about children that can really bring out the lion or lioness in us. And there's something about that relationship that perhaps God is calling us to have with God. Anyway, it's clear how, I think, how the woman might be a blessed example for us to follow. But it's not at all clear to me, initially, what in Jesus' example we're supposed to follow. Well, I think we can be helped by the uh, ancient Jewish tradition of Midrash, which is uh, a prayerful, sometimes even playful, communal engagement with the text that employs imagination. Not primarily to inject our own stuff into the story, although that's part of it, inevitably, but to really try to figure out, try to receive what the fullness of the divine voice may be saying to us in this text. So we'll experiment with that for a minute. One way to look at this text has been to imagine a kind of nudge-nudge, wink-wink interchange between Jesus and the woman for the benefit of the disciples and, by extension, for the benefit of us all. That would take into account things like, which are not given in the text, like tone of voice or facial expression or body posture, which, except for the woman... Uh, we're told that the woman kneels, except for that, we don't have a sense of the, the body postures involved, what people are doing with their bodies, how they might be gesturing to one another. So this view might suggest that Jesus and the woman are kind of doing a little, uh, putting on a little play, a little kind of teaching moment between the two of them. They both know what's going on, but the disciples don't until the very end, we hope. The narrow-minded disciples, through this give-and-take, this nudge-nudge, wink-wink exchange between the woman and Jesus, they finally get that Jesus, and by extension God, is intending to open up this kingdom of God, not just to the lost house of Israel, but to the whole world. Jesus already knows this. He's just using the woman, and the woman is using him to kind of bring this out in kind of a more clever way. Well, I think that works a little bit for our purposes. Uh, it may be that we're supposed to be clever like Jesus is. Heaven help us. And that we have to have kind of a, uh, an, uh, a partner in kind of the, this kind of uh, play. We need to have somebody else to kind of play this with us in order for it to work. I'm not sure that's the only 
example we're supposed to be following. So I, I'm going to explore another example. And this way would also preserve his humanity. And it would be to see Jesus learning in his humanity. He grows. In his divinity, he would always be open to the movement of God's Spirit, available to be filled by it. And this way of looking at the text, this Midrash, might look something like this. Jesus might be a little bit stymied by, and surprised by this situation. He probably was not expecting to be accosted by such a woman. Earlier, the, the, the text begins with us being told that Jesus went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. This is a pagan area. It is uh, where the Phoenicians lived and not an area that where lots of Jews lived. And so he might have gone there to escape from the pressures of bringing the word of God to the house of Israel. He needs a break. So he's gone away to this pagan place where no one's going to bother him. Like Maybe like going to Las Vegas or something. I don't know. But you think you go away and you're not going to be bothered by people who, who want to learn about what it means to be holy. So perhaps his first reaction is silence out of a sense of uncertainty. What am I supposed to do here? But he is open. He's not sure exactly what to say, so he doesn't say anything. That's why he doesn't say anything. He's not ignoring her. He's thinking. He's waiting for guidance. We don't know if he does. Maybe he makes eye contact with her. Like, wow. He may feel vulnerable. His silence may reflect a desire, as I say, to wait for clarity, not a desire to ignore her. And perhaps he's even asking for God's help in how to respond. Some of you may have had the experience with a child when a child comes to you and asks something outrageous and you try hard not to say no immediately you ask for help if you're in your right frame of mind you take a deep breath you're quiet you don't rush to say something well perhaps the words that finally do come to his mouth are a, can be seen as kind of a stalling tactic, kind of a stalling motion, as he, in his humanity, shifts his mindset to be more in harmony with the will of God, to be in the perfect harmony with the will of God. As one commentator puts it, it's not that Jesus is being unloving here, it's that he's shifting, shuffling his priorities to be more in line with the will of God. Now, I think it's very important to point out here that it's not a sin to learn. It's not a sin to make an honest mistake, as one commentator puts it. Learning is part of what it means to be fully human. Jesus exhibits 
a willingness to be teachable, to be flexible in the name of extending God's kingdom, to change, even in his most deeply held convictions, because that's what God is calling him to do, and by extension, calling us to do. And as the story shows, God's call may come from a very, very unexpected source. We need to hear the cries and concerns of those who may be outside our comfort zone, whatever that source may be. This morning, we baptized Jack Tyson into the body of Christ. And we'll join with him and his family in making the baptismal promises. As we pray with and for Jack today, let us pray for Jack and all of us to be human in the way that Jesus is human. To be able to learn in the way that Jesus learns. To have this same openness to God's call to embrace the outcast and the unexpected. Let us pray for ourselves as well to be fully human as Jesus is fully human. Amen. Amen.